experiencing heaven on earth. Experiencing heaven on earth. Our reference has been Genesis chapter 28 from verse 10 to 22. Genesis 28, 10 to 22. And this was about Jacob's heaven encounter. I'm not going to be able to go through the entire scripture again. I will concentrate on verse 18 down because that is what I'm going to talk about. But to be able to bring you to speed, those of us that have followed the story, this is about Jacob. Left his father and mother and his brother going to his uncle Laban to secure his life to look for greener pastures and also to find a wife. As a result of taking his brother's blessing, he had to make that journey. And in the middle of the road, 40 miles, 45 miles down the road into Syria, present-day Syria, he had to rest for the night. So he took a stone, placed his head on it, and had a dream. In the dream, the heaven was open, and a ladder tall enough to connect the earth and the heavens was in place. And angels were ascending and descending on the ladder. And he saw God standing on top of the ladder. And God said, I am the God of your fathers. Wherever you go in, I'm taking you and I'm bringing you back. I'm going to bless you and multiply the seed of yours. It will become like the sun of the seashore. Through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God made declarations, pronunciations, proclamations. God made prophetic declarations over the life of Jacob. The Bible says when he woke up, when he came to his own realization, when he left his sleep and became alive again, he was amazed. He was overwhelmed. Somebody said he was flabbergasted. He was so much enthused that he needed to say something or do something. Have you ever experienced a miracle in your life or come in contact with God or had a breakthrough and all of a sudden, the reality of God dawns on you. You just know that it's not a story. It is not religion. It's not tradition. It is real. There are times God becomes real to us through the experiences that we have. So in such an experience, he says something. He did something. That's what I want to read to you from verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel but the name of that city had been Laos previously then Jacob made a vow saying if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that ye give me, I will surely give a tent to him. 
or a tent to you. The last truth which I'm finding from this scripture is when the heavens get open to you, you commit your resources to kingdom agenda. When the heavens get open to you, you commit your resources to kingdom agenda. To many of us, when the heaven gets open to us, all we receive is the blessing. We are at just at one point receiving, the receiving and receiving and receiving, because that has been our tradition. When heavens get open to you, you don't just receive. When heavens get open to you, it prompts you to take up your responsibility. It helps you to stand in the position of honoring what God wants you to honor. When the heavens get open to you, you have a role you play. So when the heavens get open to us, we commit our resources to kingdom agenda. One way or the other, whatever we have as a people is supposed to be used for something. How many of us have money packed in our bed and we sleep on it? It's not comfortable to sleep on money. It's more comfortable to sleep on one mattress. So you exchange the money with the mattress and sleep on the mattress instead of the money. Money is meant to do something. It's for transaction. It's currency. It must flow. So money itself is meant for a purpose. It's for a reason. And every one of us, every system that we see in place is in such a way that money goes out. Money gets into things. It flows. But as to what we give our money to defines who we are. Some people give their money to football. They are great sponsors of football. And they have great joy to give their money to support football. That is what they do. If there's somebody this morning who gives his or her money to support an armed robber, we think about that individual. You see somebody who supports an armed robber, what would you think about that individual? You would think that they are more than the armed robber. So what you give your money to will define you. We will give our money to something one way or the other. Nobody will keep the money. We will give it out one way or the other. But what do you give your money to? And as a child of God, you must be number one kingdom supporter. You must be number one giver to the things of God. We should not be people who become stingy or stay away or keep our resources away from the kingdom of God. Jacob, Bible says, made a vow to God. He was overwhelmed by the presence of God and the atmosphere and everything. And he made a vow to God. Last week, I told you the death of vow. That vow is not just a promise. It's a very serious thing. That's why we don't make foolish vows. Vows are meant to be honored. When you vow and you don't honor it, you bring the trouble upon yourself. So he gets up to make a vow after the experience that he went through. And in the vow, seemingly, he set out conditions that 
This vow is based on this things being fulfilled. First of all, in verse 20, he said, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, he was asking for security. If God will be with me, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going. God, I need your presence. Once he said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we will not go. The presence of God is protection, is security. He said, God, I need you to go with me. Number two, he said, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. Basic things of life, bread to eat, food to eat, and clothes to put on. If God will give me this, it means God will give me supply. He will supply my needs. If God will supply my needs, then it is a clause for me to be able to honor my vow. And many of us seated here today, we are blessed beyond measure. God has given you more than clothes. He's giving you more than his presence going out and coming in. Again, he said, if, not just if, but he said, apart from the supply and the provision, 21, he said, so that I come back to my father's house. That guaranteed to come back to his father's house. His father's house was his inheritance. It was his shelter. Friends, no matter what you get out there, anywhere in the world, returning to your place of inheritance is something that you must dream of. It's important to get to your roots. Some of us wish we get a one-way ticket to America and never come back. But you can get the wealth in America if you don't go back to your roots. Be miserable. You see, that is why all the Americans Africans in diaspora. One of the greatest desires of these people is to see their motherland before they die. So they accumulate all the wealth and they travel to Africa. They go to Cape Coast to see how people, slaves, went through the castle and they cry. And to them, it's all that they need for closure. It's important to always return to the place of your source. He said, if God will bring me back, no matter what he blesses me with, Bring me back. Bring me to a place of shelter. And he added, in peace. Meaning, when I come back in sound mind. Because there are people who are confused. There are people who have gone crazy. There are people who have missed it. There are people who have everything, but their mind is not correct. They are mad. Somebody said there's a thin line between sanity and insanity. There are so many people that are insane. When you meet people in places and they react in a certain way, please, for your own safety, stay away. But there are some people, if you challenge them, they will show you real madness. You realize that they are not correct. Sound mind is a gift from God. And Jacob was saying, God, give me this basic things. But the good side of this is, God was already ahead of him because everything he asked had already been promised by God. When God spoke to him and said, I will take you to where you are going and bring you back. Your, your descendants will be like the son of the seashore. I'll make you a blessing so that the world will be blessed through. Everything God said was what he was asking from. God is always ahead of us. And God provides beyond what we can even ask or even imagine. God is a provider. He's a supplier. 
And there's nothing you can ever ask God that he has not already thought about concerning you. Before you even think of it to ask God, it was already on his agenda. It was already on his plan to provide for you. So there's nothing you can ask that God has not thought about. He's a good father. So everything Jacob asked, God had already thought about and spoken about it. You read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the New King James Version. The Bible says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The mind you carry is a spirit. He's giving you a spirit of sound mind. Sound mind is a gift for every believer. You walk in the soundness of mind, peace of mind. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, the Bible says, You shall keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. God keeps us in perfect peace. Why? Because our mind is stayed on him and not on the storm. The storm will come, the troubles will come. The waves will be all over, but our mind is not centered on those things. It's centered on God. And because it's centered on God, there's peace. Look, having peace is not absence of danger. Having peace is the presence of God and your mind centering on God. And that's why Jesus told the disciples. He spoke to the storm, says, peace be still. And he said, what manner of man is this that he can even speak to the storm? They were afraid because their mind was on the storm. And Jesus came and his mind was in a different place. And it calms the storm. So our mind is centered on God and it gives us peace. Troubles will come into your life. It will come into your family. You have challenges at work. You have challenges with your marriage. You have little challenges with your children and all that. All the things you go through, they are not enough to destabilize your peace of mind. When you go before the presence of God, your mind should be calm because in a calm mind comes solution and direction and ideas to be able to overcome the situation. Our mind must be sound. So God was ahead of Jacob. And if God has provided all these things for us, we should be able to also make a vow. A vow that Jacob made because God will provide this thing. If God has given you shelter, if God has given you food and clothes to wear, if God has protected you, you should be able to make a vow, a commitment without repentance. You must be able to commit to your life. Just like Joshua said, as for me and my house who will serve the Lord, you choose the God who serve, but I've already made a choice that will serve the Lord because he had made a vow. Jacob's paths had been spelled just as he spelled God's paths. So these are Jacob's responsibilities. Verse 21. Bible says, then, then means if God does his part, I have no choice than to do my part. And what is the part he was going to Commit himself to. The vow implies that one, the Lord shall be my God. He said, the Lord shall be my God. Is God your God? Last week we spent time on that. 
is God your Lord? Is the Lord your God? Or you serve your stomach? There are people who serve their stomach. There are people whose God is their stomach. There are people whose God is money. You can't serve God and money. There are people whose God is pleasure. Sunday morning, this time, they went for gym in the morning, early morning. And when they finished, they put towel around their neck and went to sit at Omutuo Special and took a thoughts and ate the Omutuo and spoke to friends and hello hi and they are sweating and they are wiping and they get into their nice car and drive around, slow driving. When you are following them and you are in a hurry, you have to be warning because it's a Sunday drive. They are enjoying the movement. They love pleasure. Pleasure has become their God. There are people who get excited with unnecessary things. Do you know there are people whose God is their own ideology? I get disappointed now when I watch TV and listen to certain people. You don't know where those ideas are coming from. You know that this is just a crazy thought or a crazy idea and somebody holds on to it and is making a lot of noise out of it. And I'm asking, what is the point in this? There was this TV program I was watching. This guy was all over that men should not wear women's clothing. Women should not wear men's clothing. That is what God has said. And in the church who does that, they are not a church. So a woman stood up to her, to him, and said, read the scripture you are reading in Deuteronomy, read further. And when you read that scripture further, God was outlining the things that the Israelites should not do. And one of them was, he said, don't mix wool with cotton or something, or, or, or linen in your dressing. And he, he gives further things. Then he, he pointed at the man and said, you are wearing a suit and you have a shirt under. As you sit here, you have combination that the Bible says you should not. So why have you not addressed that and you are just addressing what women and men should not wear? It means we pick and choose what we want to talk about. Some of these scriptures are just to make our women subservient in the house. We live in a man's world and we just deal with them in certain ways that are right. You know, before the white man came to Africa, a woman's clothes is what one is wearing. We saw the coat, isn't it? Slits and cabot, and they put something on it. That is women's cloth in Africa. That's what we know in Ghana. Men's cloth, we, we put the cloth around us, isn't it? So they are helpful, and all those people will be displayed that. That's a man's cloth in Africa. The white man is the one that brought trousers and shirts, isn't it? But this white man that brought trousers and shirts, his mind has trousers that is for women and trousers that is for men. Shirt for men and shirt for women. When you see a woman's shirt, you button from the left. It has darts to hold your breasts. It has some darts at the back to keep them a shape. Women's trousers use the left to zip it up. Men use right. Right? That is what Women and men ties out. When you travel outside this country and it's cold, they wear trousers, women. But it's not that of men. They also have their own trousers. 
But as African as we are, not knowing that the white man's sadness and shirt has a difference, we just say, when the woman wears sadness, they've worn a man's clothes. Is that not it? We confuse it. So sometimes ignorance becomes the ideology of people. And they are pushing them, pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. You ask yourself, where are they going with this? I had the founder of People Life was preaching and said, if you wear a suit, you are part of the status quo. You are a politician and you are a thief. So people should not wear a suit. That was his earlier preach. He had a political seat, the Nigeria type that he wore. And one day he traveled to London. And it was cold. And it really taught him a lesson. He landed back to Nigeria in a suit. And the people said, what's happening to you? He said, I was rock. Do you know that recently, not long ago, Kumoyi preached and said, Oh, he's preaching on women's holiness, covering your hair, constantly batting up, and, and all that. He said, it is wrong. He didn't hear right from God, and he taught them wrongly. But even in saying that as the head pastor, the members said, no, that's what we do, and that's what we hold on to. Addition and religion. They will not change. It's become the identity. When the Church of Pentecost said, women can wear trousers now, and they can uncover their hair, the older folks said, we will not allow that to happen. We will still have to cover our head and wet. It's not based on the Bible. It's based on your own tracks. Ideas, people. Ideas. Some of the people I see them on TV, I just turn it off. Because there are a lot of crazy people on TV. There are a lot of crazy people on radio. And the ideas they sell, you wonder where they got the idea from. That if you don't worship on a Saturday, you are not godly. Wow. Wow. And you find people saying, oh, tithe is past. It, it's this. And this is that. Churches that take tithe, they are criminals. The pastor should be arrested and be beaten. Some people come on TV, they say there's no God. And they, they, they make a lot of noise. I heard a, a woman talking about the Negro Bible, that it had 44 books. So how come today we have 66 books? And the, and the conclusion, some serve their own ideology. They get hooked to ideas that they have their own interest in, and that becomes their God. Jacob said, the Lord shall be my God. The Lord shall be my goal. I have come across people who went through the church, struggled, went through hardship, and God invited them. God made their finances better. God gave them a family. God gave them a blessing. And when they rose up to a certain point, they started listening to friends because they start gathering up with unbelievers for business, for, with people and they want to fit in. So in fitting in, they change what brought them to where they are. And they now begin to profess what they see in the lives of others. And they begin to say, there's no God. Or they begin to say, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. In London, I saw a lot of them. And those people, they rise a little bit and they fall. Why? Because they were not bold enough to stick to their roots. 
When you fit, Monday morning at your workplace, they will make you feel inferior if you're a Christian. And one guy said, he said, I'm not going to let these people intimidate me. Because some of them will say, oh, this weekend, what did you do? Oh, this weekend, I went bicycling. I went bicycling. Oh, I was at Gibraltar. I went climbing, hiking. I, I, and they, they're talking big. Oh, this weekend, we played tennis. This weekend, we, we, we were at this. We were at this concert. And, and that is what fits in. And he so said, one day, he was sitting there. They didn't know what to say. And they asked him, said, what did you do this weekend? He said, this weekend, I went churching. So what is church? He said, I went to praise God. If you feel big in riding a bicycle, I should feel bigger serving the living God. We will not let them intimidate us. There are people who are cruising it all over. You didn't have a dime, now you have money, and you are thinking that you don't have to give to God. I suffer no crime. You won't be with this guy. How many of us stop paying our taxes because the politicians are using it wrong? Tell me. The politicians are using the taxes wrongly, so you stop paying your taxes. Is that what you think? It's ingenious for you to start saying, I'm not paying government. I could find a problem. I four people have been trying to tax me. What to be fair? It's only in church we say, I saw four of this guy out. And this is a crowd. I saw it. The only guy has been trying to It's only in church. People are serving their old ideas. And when you get there, you are closer to falling. It's a slippery canal. You will sink. It's a fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And you don't have to say that. Your acts and your attitude, what you prioritize in your life, show that you prefer going to drink beers Sunday morning with friends and being in church, it shows how far you are going. You prefer sitting at home and watching TV and flipping the channels instead of being with other believers. It means that your days are numbered. Who do you serve? Jacob said, we will serve the Lord. Me, I will let the Lord be your God. That was his first condition. The second one was amazing. And I wanted to look at the second one very carefully. Verse 23. He said, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. I have read the scripture over and over and over. And what I've always been thinking about is he will come and build God's house in the place. He set the pillar as a landmark and he will come and build the house, which is God's house. That's what I thought. Because I have mindset is always church and building and location. We think church is a structure. Church is not a building. Church is you and I. If we meet in the cinema hall this morning, it will still be church. Our location doesn't matter. So the church that he's talking about here is a different thing altogether. He said, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. What do I mean by this? Why do I say look at this scripture carefully? Because he said the stone shall be what? God's house. Not the ordinary God's house, but the stone. The stone. How can the stone become God's house? 
It means that the stone stands for something. It's the pillar of truth. The stone is what becomes the house. Not a building. The stone. This stone will become God's house. And that stone we know is the rock. And we know the rock is the pillar of truth. And we know the pillar of truth is Jesus Christ himself. The stone the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. He said the stone will become God's house, the church. The stone. The stone. Not the, the house that is going to build, but the stone will become God's church. That's what the stone will become. It means he are taking up the responsibility to ensure that the truth prevails and becomes the body of Christ that is supposed to be the church. The next session is one I want to dwell on today and close. And it says, And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Of all that you give me, I will surely, truly give a tenth to you. I was amazed when I read this. Why? Because Jacob was not ignorant about tithes. He knew about tithes. Religiously, traditionally, he knew about tithes. Because he was coming from a home where tithe paying was not new. His father, Isaac, I believe was a tithe payer. Why do I believe that? Because his father, Abraham, was a tithe payer. Bible says Abraham went to war with 319 men from his household. And when he had defeated the enemies of Lot and he was coming back with the squirrels, he met Melchizedek. And the Bible says in Hebrew that Melchizedek has no beginning and no end, no father, no mother. He's a figure of Christ. And when Melchizedek met Abraham, he had wine and bread. Jesus gave himself as bread, broken body to us, and he shed his blood for our salvation, his blood to save us. So Jesus is a carrier of wine and bread. Melchizedek carried bread and wine and gave it to Abraham to eat after he was coming from war. When you come from war, you have all kinds of scars. You have all kinds of afflictions and pain. You, you've lost some people. Some people are limping. They are pain among your troops. And Melchizedek just went to suit their wounds and gave them carob by giving bread and wine. He gave them communion. And in return, Abraham also paid, paid his tithes. He said, Melchizedek, take my tithes. I don't want anybody to say that they made Abraham rich. It's the Lord that makes me rich. He paid his tithe to the right soul. So Jacob knew about tithe. It wasn't new. But what amazes me here is with all that he knew about tithe, this time he wasn't compelled to pay tithe. After his encounter with the Lord and everything he's been through, he made the pledge from his own will. God didn't ask him. He said, I will pay. I want to. I am willing to. Church, we must come to a place where our will helps us to do things. Now in the church, a lot of people have left our will somewhere else 
and we are being compelled to do things. Sometimes we have to tickle you. Sometimes we, we have to oppress you. Sometimes we, we have to suppress you. Sometimes we have to even bewitch you in the church to do what we are supposed to do. What happened to our will? Our willingness to serve God and give God what he deserves. He said, I will do this. I am I'm not being compelled. I will do this. It's not because of any pressure. By understanding and the encounter I have, by my experience, I realize that God is real and I'm determined because of what is that, is that for, he does for me, I'm going to provide this. I'm going to give a text. We come to church and we hold our pocket. Our resources are all held up. So pastors have now become magicians. We have to descend to see what is in your pocket and call the money for you to come forward. We, we have to control. What is today's date? First May. May is what? The fifth month. And it's the first of May. Oh, the anointing of God just came upon me and has revealed to me. Friends, today is the fifth month of a 12 month. And God is going to give you a breakthrough, my brother, my sister. If you will give me anything that matches the figure five to represent the month. If you give me an offering of 55 Ghana cities, they don't like five cities, it's too small. So they jump from five cities to 55. They are dealing with five. If you give me an offering of 55 Ghana cities, an offering of 555, an offering of 5,555, you will see the miracle that this month will bring to you. And I'm waiting, just put it in my hand so I can bless you right now. See people rise up and run. Because we've all become people that want to be coerced. What do we do with the knowledge at first word? What do we do with the real power God has given us? We must do things because we want to, not because somebody has set fire at our back, not because somebody is pursuing us. If you want to serve God, serve God because you want to serve God. You come early to church because you want to come early. And if you want to come early, you will come early. Who goes to catch a plane and goes late? So don't give me those excuses that hey, because of this I was late. If you were catching a plane, you would never be late. You, if you will, you will be here. You want to come to Bible study, you will come to Bible study. You want to come for prayer, you will come to Bible pray prayer meeting. If you want to give an offering, I told you about a church in Japan that I went to, in Tokyo. There's no offering type, it's deleted from their service role. So they save that time. It's not, let's give our offering, let's give our time, then they come and dance and spend five minutes on it. It's not on the program. Straight away, praise and worship, the pastor gets, he preaches, he closes everybody in prayer, and everybody's talking around, and they've saved time. So, as African as I am, I went to the pastor and said, you forgot to take offering today and tithe. And he laughed. And he said, in this church, we don't take tithe and offering. I thought it's one of the churches with different doctrine. Where you take tithe and offering means you are wrong. You know, in this country, churches that are preaching that we don't take tithes. 
yet they sell items to people. If you sell just water and other things to somebody to the tune of 300 cities every Sunday, what is the use of taking tithes? Taking more than tithes. So if you take that and you say tithes is not necessary, you are just not resonant. Yours is even unbiblical. Because you are selling, you are just selling. And you have people. It's not like you hate money. You are collecting law. That necessary. So I asked the pastor, I said, we don't take tithe and offer this. Is. I said, so how do you run the church? Because the church must run. This morning, you are sitting in an air condition. You sit, when I went to Asada, I didn't have a microphone because the system just broke down today. And we have to buy a new power app. You know the cost of a car. Some of the gadgets you see here, this projector, if I tell you the cost, you'll run away. We went to Singapore all the way to buy this projector. When it gets bought, the same company services, sometimes they change it. You know the cost of it? The equipment here, the drumshell, this, all these things came from UK. So here, we didn't put them on a, on a plane and spoke in tongues and it, it was just brought here. It's money. The tiles you see and you're looking at it like your picture, it's money. The environment you are in is a replica of money. Wow, why do churches take money? So nowadays churches are too fond of money. Eh. Eh. So what do they want to use? They want to use Syria instead of money, isn't it? So they take that from the bush. So the man told me, he said, we are not against tithe and offering, but pastor, I've taught my people to understand it. And he said, at the end of the month, they send their money in by direct debit into the church account. Some calculate the offering for the month and their tithes and their pledges and they just transfer. Some come with check. You see this, there were these boxes on the wall. He said, they come with check and they drop it in. We don't ask them when they close, they put their offering in it. Said when they are talking, they are just provided. Said this church, they give more than enough. A willing heart. I wouldn't want no pastor would be talking about money. The reason why you don't hear me talk about money a lot of times, somebody came to me, Pastor, you should be preaching three, four times about time. And I said, No pastor is comfortable talking about money. You wish the people know what they must do. But Sunday morning, I was expecting a guest today. Make, but if that guest is here this morning, I would have had the confidence to be telling you about money. Because I'm supposed to bring them to conversion, salvation. That's more important than talking about money. Because the moment they hear you talk about money, they confirm what they hear outside. They know this church is money, 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 because everybody's talking about money. But if we are faithful, and nobody's asking us and we are doing it. We don't have to deal with it here. If you join a club and you don't pay the fee, you're sucking. Isn't it? You join a club, you don't pay the fee. They suck. I was talking to the pastors on Friday and I told them that I am here, but I'm still a member of the UK Magistrate Association. They cut me off from the association because my direct debit failed. 
and they couldn't get money from me, so they cut me off. All my communication ceased. I wasn't getting any information. They bring me every month, they bring me a brochure of cases and what is happening and all that. It all stopped. So I quickly followed up and said, what is happening? They said, you are not paying your money any longer. So the moment I called the bank and real estate that my payment, come and see the emails that came into my account. It's, a, it's as if they were running everything. You're invited for this dinner. You're invited for this. We are selecting, we are, we are electing uh, uh, this. We are. I said, uh. so all these things were held up because I had not paid my money. If you come to church and you don't pay tithes and we decide that we're not visiting you, you will see what will happen. But the pastor will use fuel to come to you. And then to eat to stay alive. Sometimes we are just unreasonable when it comes to the things of God. We are just thinking like a worldly person. It's like a snare or a spell that is cast on us just to speak against the kingdom of God. Jacob was willing. He willed. And he paid his tax. From what Jacob did, I can confidently tell you that tithes it's not under the law. It's not under the law. It became part of the law, but it was there before the law came. Moses, by Moses' hand, the law was given, isn't it? How did Moses come? Abraham gave birth to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Jacob became Israel. It was Jacob and his children that went to Egypt, stayed in slavery for over 450 years, and they cried to God for redemption. Exodus and Moses became the leader for that. Then in the wilderness, God gives, gave the law. So before the law came, over 500 years before, tithe was being practiced. Jacob had vowed him to pay his tithe before the law even came into existence. I said, oh, Pastor, yes, because the law became, the tithing became part of the law, it should always be part of the law. So after the law, tithing is also gone. That is untrue. Who told you that even the law is no more? Look, we cannot use grace to cover up things. We can't cover things up because, oh, there is grace, so everything should be fine. It's not true like that. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Matthew 23, 23, the New Living Translation, Jesus said this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. Can you just imagine? Herb gardens, mints, and another Jesus, what kind of people were this? He said, you tithe, even the help of your gardens. 
but you ignore the most important aspect of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should die it. Yes, say yes. He said you should die it. Yes. But do not neglect the more important things. So even Jesus talking about tithe, he didn't say we should stop tithing. He said we should tithe, but we should also see to it that justice and mercy and faith is in place. Because what was the point of tithing? When somebody rapes someone and they don't get justice. When somebody needs mercy and is neglected. So Jesus said, these are important, but make sure that, yes, you tithe. So in the New Testament, Jesus was saying yes to tithe. Somebody said, oh, because he said the more important part of the law, so tithe has become part of the law. If even tithe is part of the law, according to Galatians, the book of Galatians, the law was a schoolmaster that led us to grace. The law was a schoolmaster. It was just whipping us and bringing us to grace. But Paul asked a question. He said, because of grace, should we continue to sin? Do we keep sinning because of abundance of grace? No. Because my friend, the grace we are talking about hits harder than the law. I said grace hits harder than the law. We use the mind to honor the law. We use our hearts to honor grace. Listen carefully. In obeying the law, sometimes we use our mind. You can, if you can outsmart it, your mind. But when it comes to grace, it's your heart. And you cannot outsmart your heart. That's why the Pharisees were asked to do a Sabbath day walk. The Sabbath day walk is from your house to the synagogue. And they will carry their things and walk the distance and put their things down and say, this is my new home, so I can now walk another summer day's walk. They were cheating the law. So they will go a whole journey by breaking into shortcuts. And that's what my learned friend does at the court. I put it to you. I, they know what the law is, but they find loopholes around it and but the spirit of the law is there. When it comes to grace, my friend, under the law, when a man and a woman is caught in idolatry or adultery or in anything, you have to be caught. Any sin you commit, you have to be what? Caught. Idolatry, they have to come and find you worshiping the image. And I will caught him. Maybe take a picture and show it to the Pharisees that we caught him worshiping another image. Adultery, they have to come and find you on the woman. And if he does, you know what they did. The man will run away and they will arrest the woman. The man is gone. It's a man's world. Women were the ones that were suffering. And that's why they want them to stone the woman. Jesus said, who have not committed sin you first cast the stone. Where is the man? The man is run away. And the woman is the one that is, can one person commit adultery? So why, why, why are you punishing the woman? Where is the man? Under the law, they use their mind, they can't smart it. Under grace, the Bible says, if you look at a woman, 
and last at her in your hearts. You have already what? Committed adultery. Whoa. So you look at the person. That's it. That's it. How many men this morning has, have committed adultery by seeing that beautiful woman here? Which one is harder? Grace or law? Grace or law? I mean, under the law, things were. It was a schoolmaster. A schoolmaster. It killed people. You were supposed to love God. And the Pharisees love God. But they don't care if you don't love anybody. But under grace, you are told that if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. The way to check whether you love God is how you love your neighbor. Hey, this is some, some neighbors are hard to love. They are all hard. They're making it hard for us to love God. But that is the way under grace. So what are you going to do? Grace is always difficult. Under the law, we give a tense. Under grace, everything that we have belongs to God. And the fact is, you are not alive. You died on the cross. It was you who was supposed to die, and Christ died in your place. So it's no longer you who live. It's Christ that lives in you. You are fucking dead. You have no choice. Everything you do must be what Christ does. Under grace, everything we have belongs to God. So this morning, why don't you take your watches, your shoes, your socks, your clothes, everything you have, and bring to the altar? Because they all belong to God. You're looking at me, the clothes you wear is not yours. Whatever you have is not yours. If God takes his glasses from some of us, we will have to be held by the hand to go home. Even be blind. Your, your glasses will be yours. Everything belongs to God. And that grace, it belongs. So when we come to God, we give our That's why we are able to give our hearts. If you give your heart, how much more your pockets? If you understand grace, you realize that grace is much more harder. My friends, tithing is not just the law. Tithing is part of a consecration principle. I would say it's a consecration principle across the Bible. It deals with what I was talking about last week. Tithing has to do with sacred things of God. When we say something is sacred, it means that it's a ordinary thing that is set apart for God. Anytime, if I decide to give my handkerchief to God, the moment I give it to God is no longer mine. It becomes sacred. I can't go and take it back. It is now special. Right? So things that are set apart for God belong to God. And sometimes God sets things apart for himself, or we set things apart unto God, and it becomes his. And we are not supposed to touch those things. And it's a principle that works through all the Bible. I told you last week about the tree in the garden. God said, Adam and Eve, eat whatever you want. But this fruit of this tree, you should not but touch. The day you touch it, you will die. Why? Because it's set apart. 
It was a therapy to their heart. Why? Because human beings have the attitude of taking what does not belong to them. If you leave someone something, somebody's care for a short time, they take it and they think it's you leave your land for somebody. Your land, which is by the road, let that woman sell Kelly there and put Kios there and leave the woman to be there for seven years. The children will come and say that's their mother's land. Is that true or false? If you have an uncompleted building and people come to dwell in it and don't sack them. I was being advised recently that I should go and sack some people in, in my uncompleted building because they said, well, by the law, when they stay there for 12 years, don't sack them. They see me dying for 12 years, two hours even two. So God knows how we behave. So he set rules for us Set that as a therapy to our heart. So when these guys, Adam and Eve, walk in the garden, walk there, and they're enjoying the food, they're doing what they and finally they get to this particular food. Hey, Charlie, hey, this is the lion. This one, God said, hey, there's a God who is in charge of this garden. So please don't touch that. That is what brings awareness. It brings awareness. It's the same principle that Joseph embodied. When his master had given him access to everything in his house, except his wife. If he sleeps with his master's wife, it means he's the boss. So he will do everything, but he will not touch the woman. The woman said, touch me. He said, no, I can't do this against God and against my master. I can't do it. You are on the line, the match. You are where I stop. You don't have where you stop. Or you take what belongs to you and take what belongs to God on top. Where do you draw the line? Every one of us must draw the line somewhere. And it's a principle in the Bible. There are things that are not supposed to be touched. They are consecrated. The act of the covenant. The covenant act. God said, don't touch this act. Few people are supposed to carry it. It carries the glory and the presence of God. Fine. Now the Philistines have wanted to get this act. And it was killing them. So they put the act on a chariot. And it had come to the territory of Israel. But it was a rocky ground, so the chariot was moving like this, and the ark was going up and down. Uzzah, with good intentions, this ark is going to fall. Would I allow God to fall? It's a disgrace. Let me hold up the ark. And the woman stretches hand to hold the ark. What happened to him? He was helping. Why would God kill such a person? Because God said, you should not touch it. And that no circumstance should you do what? Touch the act. It is consecrated. It is set apart. Don't touch it. We find in Daniel chapter 7, Belshazzar. Belshazzar, prominent king, doing well. In the temple, there were nice glasses that were used for communion. Then we get visitors. His army commanders went and had victory at war front, and they come and they get excited. They want to honor the army commanders. Then he goes in and takes those cups and serves them to drink. And while he was still serving them, a handwriting came on the wall. And the handwriting brought the end to his kingdom. Let me read to you 
what the handwriting said. It says in English, you've been weighed on a scale and found deficient. You have been weighed on a scale and you have found what? Deficient. You are not qualified to occupy the seat that you are on. Today is being taken from you because you've taken what is consecrated, what is set apart for God. You have touched it, and because you've touched it, that's your end. The Bible says, Touch not my prophets or my anointed, and do my prophet what? No harm. When it comes to prophet, and it's anointed. Anyone God has anointed, whether they are a king or they are a prophet or they are a pastor or they are a teacher or whoever, God said, don't touch them. Leave them alone. Whatever they do, I will deal with them. But you are not supposed to touch them. Pastor, what if they, are, they brought the fight to you? Well, run away from the fight. Turn it over to God. Don't, don't deal with them. It's not your job to deal with them. Some of us have made up our mind that Pastors, our, our area of fight, that's where we sweat it. You have no business fighting any pastor. Even when they have wronged you, it's not your job. Saul was all over David. He wanted to end David's life. So his son, Jonathan, who, who throw javelins at him, he will pursue him to places. Ah, what kind of enemy has Saul become? But on two occasions, David had the opportunity to kill the man. One time he cut his clothes and went to stand afar off and called and said, King, this is your clothes. I came here you last night, but I spared your life. It's not my job to kill him. Because his bodyguard didn't do up. He said, strike him once to the ground and he would die because Saul was sleeping. He said, take his own sword and just, just put it in his head and kick it to the ground. The man will not talk. He would die, so we will run away. David said, I would not do it. I would do it. And he goes somewhere and says, I didn't do it. I had the opportunity. So one of the soldiers got to know that Saul was a thorn in the flesh of David. So after a battle that Saul died, I don't know whether this man actually killed Saul, but he wanted to take glory and fame. He comes to David and says, Cain, I have killed your enemy. I killed Saul. I made him laugh and I killed him. He wants reward. How many of you reward people who bring you bad news? Hello? And Kofobe Tinkoff was actually one who reward one. Hey, what did you wake up? Hey, this is your pass on your Tinkoff when I say no more kafa wo. Was him a dasi, so I'll tell you them. Yeah, come watch them. You are destroying your heart. Are you hearing me? They are doing what? Don't think of the means, think of the end. The end result is who are going to be the victim. Because if you get to know what people are saying about you, you will lose confidence yourself. When you beat them, they become enemies. When you beat them, you are thinking, hey, what are they thinking about me? But if you don't know anything, you are walking freely. Let them think and see whatever they are saying. Close your ears. People who can't refuse to you and say, oh, this person said this, this person is doing this against you. Please don't encourage them. Don't reward them because they are not helping you. They don't love you. 
they are rather destroying you. If they love you, they will deal with the issue and leave it there. If you are confront two cases, you will go down on country. There are a lot of fights, my wife fights, and I don't get to do them. She will not tell me. She is dead with it and it's gone. I can't tell me that. Baba and Fenim, it is what can see found. Oh boy. Who can be your best hand? Who's walk on? You are left and right. So he said, I have killed your enemy. I said, oh, sir. I take this man and go and kill him. He's touched the anointed of God. This man has done what he shouldn't have done. What I didn't do, you are going to do it. Kill him. That's how he dealt with it. Because we are not supposed to touch God's anointing. That's what the Bible says. Ananias and Sapphira were another. You see, these guys, they come around as if they have their hearts. Everybody is pledging. They also keep pledging. Oh, we have a land. We will give the land to the church. Praise God for Ananias and Sapphira. And why do you almost Go and sell the thing and bring the money. He goes and he sells it and take part of the money into his pocket and brought part and said, this is what I got from the sale of the land. And Peter looked at him and said, why have we decided to lie to the Holy Spirit and us? Look, if you decided to go and sell your own land and bring us an amount of money, no problem. It's the money you are bringing to us. But when you decide to give us the land, the land is the Lord. So when you sell, you bring everything to God. You can't go and sell it and take part. If you decided to go and sell and bring us money, you would have taken it. But what you are doing is a lie. And when he died and they went to bury him, the wife also came. And Peter said, did your husband bring all the money? Oh, yes. 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 Said, you and your husband. These are the footsteps that went to bury your husband. They will carry you in the same direction. Lies killed two people in the church. And Bible says it brought fear upon the church. One of these days, if God is going to punish somebody who doesn't pay tight, don't you think it will bring fear? Don't you think it will bring fear? Everybody will say, Pastor, this is my money. This is my money. I thank God, God is not me. God doesn't operate like I operate. He does it in his own way. Look, when you hold God's tight, it can be a blessing in your hand, or it can be a curse. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse. Tithing is not only to receive blessing. It's also an indication of an acknowledgement of God's blessing. When you pay tithes, you are not just paying tithe so that you'll be blessed. You are paying tithe to also acknowledge that what God has given you, his wealth getting a share. So you pay out of the blessing you have received. Not because of what you are going to. So some of us, oh, give and it shall be given to you. When you bring your tithe, God will give you one. Uh-huh. That's what we want to hear. We have all become lotto experts. My bet in church, give money and money will be given to you. That's the only thing I will let you keep is when you go, you're going to get more. But hey, if I have something to give, it means I'm blessed enough to give. I am acknowledging what God has already done. We must also realize that 
time is not from your own resource. You pay out of what God has given you. Whatever you are giving is not yours. I said it is God's. So when you are paying time, don't say, ah, but me see you me ten percent What you are paying is from God's resource. If you're a company and you, you sell things and you go and buy stuff to come and sell, and when you have to go and pay for the things you bought after selling them and take your profit, you decide that ah, the person has not deserved the money. Is that fair? Is that your money? That is not part of your money. You watch the thing and you show to make profit. So go and pay for what you bought. When we are paying tithe, we are paying for what God has given us. There is nothing we have that was not given to us. David said, who are we? Who am I and my people that we should stand here pretending we are giving to you out of the resources you have given us? We are pretending we are giving to you, but you give them to us. You give them to us. Who are we? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. And 18, the New Kingdom Version. The Bible says, Then you say in your hearts, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. I sell I saw that ah, I work too much, I'm tired, I've got a little money. Why should I pay tight? Who gave you the power to walk on your feet? Because you can collapse with the ice water and be found in the hospital. You can die, a car can hit you. So if you made it through the selling of the ice water, somebody gave you the power to get wealth. Some of us, we have, we have gone to school and we have improved ourselves. We are, we are lecturers, we are doctors, we are nurses, we are teachers, and we get our money. Who gave you the mind to study? Retentive memory. There are people who tried like you and went mad on your block, in your service school, in your university. They were studying and they just went quiet and they shouted and that was it. They were found in Ankafu. Who gave you that power? So why do you think it's in your power that you have made it? It's not in your power. Remember the Lord your God. Remember who gives you the power to make wealth. Sometimes we forget so easily as human beings. We forget. We forget so easily. We need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we forget that we are even human beings. We forget that this is not our final destination. We forget that we will die one day and leave everything that we are fighting for. Somebody said, I did in jail with that over my dead body. You forget that your dead body is going to be dead. So it will be over the dead body one day. One day you will die. You will die. I was telling somebody, I said, putting to kill other people. But the next 30 years, I don't think even if you use supernatural powers, he will still be in power. The next 30 years to Putin will be 100 years. I don't think he will be in power. He, he should kill everybody. You see, there is time for everything. You have to know your limit as human beings. Don't forget yourself. Do you know why grapes are most often by the roadside? So when you are driving past 
and you see the graves, you realize that one day that is your destination. So if you are speeding, you reduce the speed. Because if you press the accelerator, you will join them very soon. Robert Schuller, he said, he has graveyard in front of his church. Because he said, these old people who serve the Lord, when they die, they buy them in the church. And their children have moved on to be affluent and they've forgotten God. And they've gone to big cities and all that. And one day they'll come and look for their father's grave. And when they come and they see the grave, they are vulnerable. They enter into the church, he preached salvation to them. Remember who you are. Remember. I received. Can you keep a sick? How many of us can keep a sick? It means everybody's going to say it. I got a message from my wife yesterday. And I read it and I sat down and I began to think. It paralyzed me the greater part of the evening. And it, the title of it is What I Wish For When I Die. And she stated about 30 things that she wants to be done when she dies. From where she will be buried, who has authority over her body, how the viewing has to be done, the preaching, the song that will be sung, everything. And I look at it and said, this is just the draft. It's just 50 years. But by what she's been through, she knows that life is nothing. So she comes up and writes something that if she doesn't get the chance again, like she had the chance to escape what she went through, maybe she doesn't get the chance the next time. This is how it's supposed to be. And I'm going to adopt that. I read that, I like some, some of the facts. And I'm not just going to adopt it, I'm going to bring it to your office. We're going to file it at the high court or wherever, so that, so that nobody comes and says, hey, I'm a bush of any, hey, we're going to cool up. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. She doesn't even want a full run. One church service, morning, finish. They read a few of your frequent query, get a 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 get I'll give people room to adopt because we've had problems upon problems when people tell we see different things happen and we are not able to face it because they think if you start planning about your death, you are going to die. Everyone is afraid. I know people who have gone to shop for their own caskets and left it for preservation. If you know who are if you look at it, you say, who are you? They are ready. The guys, what can you punish them for? They are ready. What do you think about the brand new one with Munia Kota Adakan? And what Katanos? You are free. 
So we must know who we are. And don't fight over, if you can fight over 10% tax, then you don't know the God you serve. You don't know the God you serve. If you will fight over 10%, you don't know the God you serve. Tithe is for serving God's house. The church, just as tax is for the wealth, welfare of a state. So the tithe, in the olden days, the jaw of the goat and all that to pastor's house, not, they don't bring any jaw of goat to pastor's house. And whatever money that is brought into the house, it goes into running the house. This church, we run much in terms of our resources. Today, when we close, every one of us is going to our congregation. This month, every, every Sunday congregation meeting. I met the, the congregation leaders yesterday, uh, Friday, and I showed them evidence. I was shocked because I don't normally go to find out how many they got, what is happening, who is paying. I don't do that because I'm concentrating on my business and I'm leaving the account to do their business. Your money is not in my pocket. I'm not inquiring about your money. But for the first time, they brought record to me and I looked at it. And I realized that January, February, March, April included one of the months, one of the months, which is not very far from the rest. We had 38 people paying tithes. Out of a church of over 400, 38 people paid tithes. This year, the highest among them is 52 out of over 400 people paying tithes. So you come here and smile to each other thinking, oh, we are doing well, we are doing well. Who is not doing well? And who is doing well? And even the people who pay, sometimes they skip six months and come and pay one. And some of the names I saw, I definitely that that person's tithes cannot be 100 grams. Because I know that that person cannot take 1,000. It's just something to represent something. So that, taken out of the 58, the lies, and those who pay every six months, they come and redeem it a little bit. When you put that record together in this house, what carries us is the grace of God. Well, Lucy was there when I was writing things that I've done for pastors, but I don't take any. You, you don't see me take pastors' appreciation in this church. You don't see me take. Some churches, they fight over it. It's because of where my heart is. I'm also serving God. And God is my provider for people. So I, I learn not to depend on people. But in certain places, the pastor will have to Conjure because if you don't pay it, he's going to eat grass. Please, we must repent. If the state need money to run, the church need money to run. Have you seen the state tax? Who knows the percentage that is deducted from salary, the basic tax of the government? In the money they take from you, you don't even know the percentage. You don't care because they'll take it anyway. So you don't care. That of UK, the basic is 50, uh, 20, uh, 23%. In 
It means that every seed, every seed, 23 pesos, if that applies, will come out of your money. Every seed, 23 pesos. And the government doesn't give you the option. They take it at source. They take it before they even give you the rest. Is that true or not? Is that true or not? When they finish, they say they've taken your pension funk. Without your permission. And after the money has been given to you, the rest, after taking their taxes, you decide to build a house. Buy cement. Hey, that's it. You buy iron, iron sheet. That's it. You buy pets. That's it. You buy McDonald's or KFC. That's it. Who got that power? That's it. I bought 200 cities of power. And the 200 is just a supplement. My house power, I pay over 500 a month. So it was not, the 500 was not enough because I put on air conditioning when my wife came. So I had to pay and buy 200. And that was the first time I took the receipt to check. And the 200 that I bought, they are taking a tax of 10 Ghana cities. So they gave me one minute and took 10 cities. Every 200, the government paid 10 cities. Jesus. But you are taking tax from the made money and you still take it. And nowadays, when after taking everything and you put the money on the mobile phone to you live is every swimming year. You live on also say Mate. And you can condone with that. But giving God 10% is too harsh. You don't want to do it. Do you know the percentage at the end when they put all the taxes together, the government shares your money with you 50-50. But you can pay God's tax, which is the tithe. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 11, the New King James Version, Will a man rob God? A true robbery, but I didn't wear that. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. For even this nation, poor nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will be not there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall he, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Rob God. We have become robbers. We rob God. We rob God. What belongs to God? I told you about Pastor Evans who came here to preach before the Easter and his wife. And they were going back to Accra and they met armed robbers between Diyayawkanta and Bejim early in the morning. And they put them on the ground and they did all that. And he said, we are pastors. We just went to preach. They gave me an honorarium. It's in an envelope and it's at the back of the seat. Take it and leave. And the guys went to look for it, they didn't find him. So they brought him 
and he found them love for them. Then they put them on the ground again, fired some warning shot, got into the bush and shouted, take your car and go. Robbers, they are taking on the radio. We are in the church, we are taking God's money. We rob God. I said earlier that tithe can be a blessing in your hand or it can be a curse. A blessing in the sense that God will open the windows of heaven, give you ideas, bless the fruit of your work. We say God blessing you doesn't mean you bring sacks of money. Some people think sacks of money. No, he gives you blessing at your workplace. They hate everybody, but you are disfavored. Every door is closed, but yours got open for you to assess. You get promotion. You it's the favor of God. It's the blessings of God. You travel, you come back safe to your children. God is giving assets. Your children getting promotion. People you don't even know are taking care of your children. They are rising to place. It's the blessings of God. My friend, it is not money that you get physically because you give to God. God gives you ideas. He blesses for the doing. He said, the fruits of your field. He said, you will cause them. How many days to we how, how long? You ask people, they will tell you that. Three months will grow corn in this country, isn't it? They have technology in Israel that grows corn in two weeks. It grows corn what? Two weeks. Technology. So you are planting three months. You are planting two weeks. Who will be rich? Tell me who will be rich. Peter. Our water get dried up. The one on the road, what is the name? Tunnel. Sometimes it dries up and they lock the taps. By the time they open, you open your tap, it comes like mud, brown. Israel doesn't have access to water. They put their connection direct to the sea, and you know the sea will not dry. And they take the salty water and convert it to drinking water and to irrigation water and all that. Wisdom, sense, It's called the blessings of the Lord. You follow the law with your sense. We honor God with our hearts by grace, but we don't get there because we are stealing from God. May God give you fresh ideas, grace and knowledge to be able to make inroads when people are even crying. When there's inclination, then you will not be affected. You go above it. Why? Because you are faithful to God. God said, test me with this and see. My friends, we cannot designate our tithes. He said the tithe must be brought to his house. So you don't tell where the tithe must go. Somebody said, Pastor, this woman's son was sick and it was just my tithe in the house. So I gave it to the woman to take the child to the hospital. I think I've done my godly duty. I said, no, you did it. The pastor, what should I have done? I said, you should have allowed the boy to die. Hey, pastor, you're a wicked pastor. I said, I'm saying that to get your attention. What I mean is, if that tithe is God's money, it shouldn't be the only thing left in the house. Because tithe is the first food. It's supposed to go out before you even spend the rest. When we get young in this country, they commit them to the cause before we eat the rest. When they flip down that first thing, you cannot even get to the house. Tithe is not designated 
and it must be the first fruit. It goes out. If it doesn't go out and it finishes it in your money, then you, you just jump on it. You cannot borrow God's tithes. It's not your money to borrow from. It's not for borrowing. It must go out first. Oh, so for the same, you have a deal. So for the beside, you have a more deal. Who sit down? How does it get out of the sit down? You are made here. Naturally, what we try and answer, who try six months to come and ask that teacher for. That's a what are we able? Yes, sir. My friends, our today's Christianity is not going to yield the fruit that we're looking for. We must be sincere with ourselves. I find people fighting. Why should I pay 10%? Pastor, I pay my money, but it doesn't have to be 10%. If it's not 10%, how much do you pay? Because I said, New Testament, everything belongs to God. So 10% is just the beginning. It's the mark God has set. If you're a Christian, you must pay above 10%. A New Testament Christian must see 10% as the basis. And you must pay. It's a guideline. You pay beyond that. You must come here like Rick Warren and say, I pay 96% of my income to the church. That's what you should be saying. That you pay more. You are not limited to 10%. It's just the basis. But to say, Pastor, I keep, but I don't know the percentage I give. Anybody who doesn't know the percentage they give to God is a thief. Because you can't give 50% of your income to God and say you didn't see it. If the chunk money comes from your account, you will know. My friend, the reason why you don't see the percentage you give to God is because what you give is so scanty that it cannot even register on your income. That's why you don't know how much you give. Because if you are giving 10%, 20%, you know money has gone out of your account. You know the percentage. What, what, what sometimes irritates me, and I'm not supposed to say that, but I'll say it, is people who feel, Pastor, what your left hand does, the right hand is not supposed to see. So when we come to church, they will say, if you pay your tithe, please rise, let's pray for you. Said, pay my tithe, but I will not rise. Rebellion. And the thing is right, because I don't want people to know that I'm paying my tithe. Why would you want people to know you're paying? It should rather be shameful if you are not paid. We should rather suspect the person who is not paid. The person who pays tithe must be bold enough to stand and say, I believe in the principles of God and I'm using it to work and I want you to look at me as an example so you can follow. You know why we, we still have 40, less than 10% paying tithe in this church? It's because when we call for prayer, nobody stands up. So everybody assumes nobody pays. So why should I pay? Why should I pay? We should be forward to say we adhere to this principle and we still to receive the blessing. There's nothing to be shameful of when you are to be prayed over. If you are sitting down and you don't rise up, you know what? You are making the situation insensitive so that next time when you don't pay, nobody knows. Because whether you pay or you don't pay, you are sitting down. So there's nothing that pricks your conscience. We are no wiser than God. In the wisdom of God, he decided to put tithe as a basis because God knew that he cannot just depend on us that from our own will we pay. So to be able to have a stabilized budget for the church, he said at least 10% you pay. Make sure that there's some consistency for the church. Because if it's left to us, 
you are not going to pay anything. And that is why God didn't take the risk and allow tax to be paid. And if we pay, we become shareholders with him. Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So we must lay treasures for ourselves, but not just on earth. Because we know what will happen if we do it here. We must do it in heaven. What are treasures in heaven? My friend, treasures in heaven is not you building a mansion in heaven, because Jesus already has mansions. One word, in apostolic Pentecost and others, they say, anytime you keep offering, you are building a story building in heaven. They are not building any story building. Told you are building a story building. There's no story building anywhere. Paul said that whatever you give me is being credited to your account. What it means is not because God is putting up a building for you. I believe that our account in heaven has to do with our prayer and the role that will be given to us, just like the ones with talent. Because you were able to have five four, you'll be given so so and so to run. Your, I believe our crowns will be different. I believe our roles in heaven will be different. And all because of our obedience to God here on earth. It's not just in giving money, but in all other areas, there is something being credited to our account that will tell the difference. I want to close because my time is way over. The closing statement I will not be able to explain. The concluding statement I want to make is an open heavens encounter will effect change. It will effect change. It will effect change. An open heavens encounter will effect change. Genesis 28, 18 and 19. Bible says the name of the city was called what? Laos. But it was changed to what? Better because of one word. Laos simply means almond tree or almond. And it is the name of one of the bones within the human spinal column that the Muslims and the Jewish people believe it would never be destroyed because that is how we are going to be reformed. It was a name that was prominent and it was the name of a city. But by somebody's encounter, the name was changed to what? Bethel, where God dwells. When we have an open heavens, what God does is he changes the narrative about us. He changes our story. No matter your story, God will change it when you come in contact with him, when the heavens get open over you. And not only that, he changes our name. That is how Abraham became Abraham. That's how Jacob became Israel. That's how Saul became Paul. That's how Simon became Peter. Changes our name. 
I don't know what you've been through. I don't know your story. I don't know what has gone on. I don't know the name and, and the idea you carry. But an open heavens is going to change that. It's going to change the narratives about you. Amen? It's going to change. We are in a movement of change. And I pray that the heavens will get open to you. I pray that God will shine his light upon him. I pray that he will walk in the fullness of his blessing. I pray that you will be made whole. You read Luke 17. Bible says that Jesus sent 10 people to go and show themselves to the priests, lepers, and they will be healed. And they did that. And they got healed. One person turned around and he was a Samaritan. And he comes to Jesus to come and thank Jesus. And Jesus said, I healed 10. How come? Where are the night? Why you are the only person who returned? And he said, be made whole. He came to worship Jesus and said, be made whole. You know what that means? The nine, including him, all got their healing by showing themselves to the priest. But you know that if you're a leper and you get healed, you still have traces of leprosy. Anybody who sees you know that you were a leper before because the limbs will not grow back. Your nose will not change. So you are healed. The artery part, the, the watery part and all the, the sore is gone, but they still see you and you're going like that. Because you are healed, but there's something to show your history and your past. When they found the healing, they were happy and they decided to disappear. And one said, it's not enough. I am healed, but I will go like that to go and thank God. And it comes before Jesus, thank Jesus. And Jesus said, come on, because you came back to thank me, the narrative about you is changed. You, you have all the limbs taken out, but be made whole. Being healed is different from being made whole. Being made whole means that now have your limbs grow back. Now have your nose restored. Now let the history about you that will tie your past to your present be taken out. So that people see you, they don't know where you're coming from. Some of us have been to the gutters. Some of us have been through the choke places. Some of us have gone through pain and difficulties. But when we walk before the Lord and we worship him, he wipes our narrative. He changes our story. And we come with a fresh face, with a smiling face. And people see us as if we have all been anywhere. Why? Because of open heavens. May the Lord open the heavens. May he take your story away. The things that people remember about you, may it be canceled out. May new story be said about you. May favor doors be opened unto you. Are you hearing me today? May the heavens be opened over you. And commit to your resources to the kingdom. Please, when we close, stay in your congregation. And let's build this church together. Don't be an outsider looking in. Be an insider. Will decide you want to do it. Don't be coerced. Will. And in no time we will change the face of history. If you are willing, you will eat the good of the land. I want to turn to the person next to you and hold your hand and pray for them. Turn, turn to the person next to you. Hold your hand and pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for that individual. Pray that God will grant us the grace. God will help us. Pray, 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 pray for that individual. I say, God, help, help, help us. Help us to be able to rise above our weaknesses. 
to be able to rise above our challenges. Help us to be able to make a difference. Help us to be able to receive the blessings and the favor. Help us, help us, help us, help us. Lord, help us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.